0: Well, turning your Bibles to John seventeen. This won't be necessarily a exp. Well, it'll kind of be that I was going to say. We'll primarily be in John seventeen this morning. We're going to title of today's message is the prayer requests of Jesus. Back um, probably around I don't know mid early nineties, give or take. There was uh, some of you may remember that this. There was a exposé on twenty twenty. And uh, they had uh, done a uh, expose on uh, a certain group of TV preachers, evangelists, or whatever. And again, I'm not saying everything was done correctly on either side. But one in particular that was, uh, they did an investigation uh, of in the Dallas area, who is not on television now, and you'll know why by if you remember is that when they went to their offices or headquarters, of course, I'm not advocating the ethics of this, but they a lot of times report dug around in their trash, you know, to find something. And what they found was bags of open envelopes where money or donations were taken out and prayer requests that weren't even taken out of the envelope, just tossed in the trash. And I think that more than um, probably anything, I mean, there was a lot of things, but that probably sunk that person more than anything. I mean, you know, you can argue about different things, but that just seemed to be kind of one of the lowest of the low kind of... Now, whether that person knew about, I don't know, but it was there. and And there was just something about, you know, and they showed little notes from, you know, maybe some grandma, somebody praying. Because, again, a lot of these guys, not all of them, uh, you know, I watch David Jeremiah and Charles Stanley and Michael Youssef. There's a lot of great people on TV. I really enjoy listening, especially on Sunday morning. uh, Sometimes I'm tempted not to preach their message when I come in here because I got all that going in my head. But, you know, if you send me this money... I'm going to send you a personal note back. Well, that doesn't work when you're trying to keep up with 20,000, 30,000 people on a mailing list. And you have machines that fakes, you know, not fake, but it'll sign your name and look like a real Pam. I mean, listen, come on. And, but yet, they are representing God and taking these prayer requests, and people believe it. Now I'm thankful that when we pray to Jesus and we make our requests known to him we know that he hears our prayers. Right? We don't have to be worried about being conned. Look at I think these scriptures are on the on the slides. Hebrews 7:25. There's two of them there. Romans and Hebrews. Therefore he Jesus is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, look at this, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Intercession is prayer. Now, how that works with Jesus and interceding and praying and and all that, I don't know. I just know that Jesus is on the job with my needs. Amen? Amen. Are you all okay today? Everybody good? Good. All right. Just make sure you're not... Uh, air conditioner got cranked up a little bit, and I see some of you already in your parkas. So uh, I'm not sure whether it's coming behind me or out that way, but uh, Lord, I feel it. All right, so uh, that's that's good for me. Maybe not good for you. Romans 8:34. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen. Look at this. Who is even at the right hand of God? Who also makes intercession for who? For us, yeah. So this morning, while Jesus is interceding for our requests, when we make prayers known to him, and again, that is a mystery of how exactly all that works. I just know what the Bible says, that Jesus is... Listen, if his prayers were effective when he was on earth, do you think they're any less effective when he's in heaven? No, he's still praying. He's still interceding. He's still working on our behalf. And so this morning, we want to look at four—at least that I've found. There's probably some more, but four requests, prayer requests of Jesus. But before we do that, let's pray and ask the Holy Spirit to um, to communicate to us through His Word. That's how He works: His Word and Spirit. And uh, and I believe that if you, um, if you're intentional this morning, and you have a Bible, and you take notes, I believe God will speak to us. He might even speak to us if you don't take notes. But I think when you're intentional, and you say, "Lord, I want to receive something. I- I'm ready. I'm ready." Lord, talk to me today. Uh, I believe He will answer that prayer. That's a prayer request. So let's pray, Father. In Jesus' name, we pray that your word would, Lord, just open our hearts today and rekindle warmth and fire and passion for you and your presence. Lord, perhaps we are still feeling dulled by all the activity in the past month and weeks. And Lord, we come in with a whole array of things on our hearts and minds and busyness and needs and families and all sorts of things. But Lord, for the next 40 minutes, Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, a concentration and to be intentional to say, Lord, speak to your servant today. And so, Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, John 17, or several of these, uh, there'll be one exception here, but notice with me four requests of Jesus in Scripture. Number one, Jesus prays for the unity in the church. Prays for the unity in the church. John 17, and I believe this will be on the screen. I put uh, some of these on the screen. John 17, verse 20 and 21, Jesus said, I do not pray for these alone. Again, if you read in context, he's praying for his disciples here. He said, I don't pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me. So not only is Jesus praying for those who have believed, but he's he's praying and knowing about those who will believe. Not that I hope they believe in me, but for those who will believe in me through their word, through the word of these disciples. Now, notice what he says, that they all may be, what, one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they, not only who are present but future, may also be one in us. For what purpose? That the world may believe that you sent me. Jesus prays for unity in the church. Now that's not just unity that we pray for the local church, but He's praying for unity in all of those that are members of His church. You know, sometimes we will talk about the invisible church. That means that God has a church that isn't just, you know, where we see a group. Of, but God has a church in China, in Vietnam, in Canada, in Russia. In North Korea, in Iran, God has a church universal, global. It's invisible in the sense we may not see buildings. Of course, we know buildings aren't the church. That's just where the church meets. But he has an invisible church. I like what the old Baptist preacher Vance Havner said. He said, uh, many of those who are members of the invisible church are often invisible at church but we'll skip that for another time. He prays for the unity. Uh, Some of you may have grown up in part of your worship tradition, and we did a whole study on Wednesday nights here on the Apostles' Creed. The Apostles' Creed was developed by the early church because, again, there wasn't a formulated New Testament. They had the Old Testament. But as a way to to synchronize and a way of, of succinctly stating core Christian truths, okay, And part of that, a statement in the Apostles' Creed is that we believe in one holy Catholic church. Now, we Protestants, by the way, we're celebrating 500 years of the Reformation the last Sunday of October, and we're going to do some things around that. But, uh, you know, we bristle at that. Oh, no, I'm not a part of the Catholic. No, that isn't what it's saying. Catholic means universal, global, worldwide. We, but we are part of one holy, universal, global, Catholic church. We are not necessarily members of the Roman Catholic church. Do you understand that distinction there? Okay. Um, so it's, it, what it's saying is we are not alone. We, it's, this church is more than just our little group here. We are part of a wider body. And Jesus prays for the unity of this body, wherever they may be found, or at any uh, ethnicity or or background or whatever. Now, you say, well, does that mean that he's praying that we would all have and be in one organizational church? And I I don't, that's not what he's praying for. You say, well, now that we will be in one someday, right? There's not going to be the Baptist section in heaven, the Pentecostals, uh, and you'll always be able to hear them and know where they're at, uh, or the, you know, the, the Lutherans or whatever, right? No, it, we're going to be that. If you look in Revelation, it's, it's a massive multitude where the voices are going to be lifted up, and it'll sound like a, a roaring sea, and it'll just be massive. We'll be together. But this is something, I was, when I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, in the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was divided up by how many tribes? Twelve tribes. You had twelve tribes. They were all different. Had different missions, different purposes, different promises, all those things. But yet, they were one, unified, right? They didn't have twelve different forms of worshiping Yahweh. They were unified and, and they, in the encampment. They encamped the 12 tribes around the tabernacle, the tent of the tabernacle. So you had a diversity, but yet there was unity there. So I don't think that when we pray, or what Jesus necessarily was praying, is that somehow we all get organized as one church. That's, I don't think that's what the point is. But that we are unified in one spirit, in one love under the banner of the kingdom of God under Jesus. We're going to have differences. There are differences and this doesn't mean that we just throw out all our belief systems and kind of just whittle it down to the most narrow statement. People will say, "Oh, we just should throw out doctrine and just believe in Jesus." My friend, your doctrine will determine your Jesus. Do you believe in the Mormon Jesus? Well, doctrine determines... Doctrine is what we believe. Well, we believe the Bible teaches. So, you know, it sounds cute, but it's not really helpful. But when we are together... And one of the things that we have in, a, in the United States is we've had somewhat of a religious liberty luxury for many, many years. And those those gates are narrowing all the time. Um, you know, I, when I've read about Dietrich Bonhoeffer and different individuals... Under uh, that saw the gathering storm under Nazi Germany. It's interesting how uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was Lutheran. But it's interesting in how those denominational distinctives became less important when it came as a result of being one under surviving the evil of what was happening in their, in their nation. I love... Uh, Something a quote from John Wesley, um, where he says, "If your heart is as my heart, take my hand." I like that. Speaking about a brother in Christ, whether they wear their collar backwards, or they wear a tie, or they gather for certain, you know, uh, Eucharistic celebrations. Now, does that mean we don't have doctrinal? Yes, I mean, we're just, you know, we, listen, it'll all be figured out in heaven. Talk talk about John Wesley, one of his greatest admirers and closest allies in the gospel was a great evangelist that was a part of the first great awakening by the name of George Whitefield. George Whitefield was a Calvinist. Now, if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. It's probably better you don't know what it means. Wesley was Arminian. So they had some deep theological divides. But he loved George Whitefield, and George Whitefield loved John Wesley. Why? Because they had a heart for Jesus. That's what I want. I want a heart. And so if if this brother has a heart for Jesus... We may not take communion. We may not do certain things the same way. But you know what? If they love Jesus and they believe that Jesus was born of a virgin, they believe that he is God sent, he is God of very God, that he lived a perfect life, he died a perfect death, he resurrected perfectly so he can be a perfect Savior, take my hand. You have my heart. You're my brother. You're my sister. Wait a minute. He, they don't baptize the way we baptize. You know, I don't see that as the criteria. Is that important? I believe it is. Am I going to divide fellowship over it? No. I'm not going to say I can't. Now, if this person embraces things that are clearly anti-Scripture, then we break fellowship. I was a part of a group of ministers uh, that met in uh, Illinois, and we met for breakfast, uh, I don't know, once a month or so. And right before I left, one of the things that was going to break that group apart was one of the pastors there became very vocal in his support of same-sex marriage. And us as a brothers, we just said, well, you know, that's... He said, I'm following my denomination in that. I'm not going to buck that. And he said, well, you can f- fine, but we break fellowship here because that's not a, that's not a minor issue. You hear what I'm saying? So in other words, if I'm I'm not gonna have a I'm not gonna join together in having a unity breakfast with a Unitarian or a Mormon or Jehovah's Witness, because those are distinct differences, biblical differences. Those are those are deep rooted barriers that Scripture does not embrace those many views of some of those groups. So therefore there is a there is a separation there. But if we come together and you, you embrace the Jesus of the Bible and you believe that he's the only way, the only truth, the only life, no one can come to the Father except through him, I'm like, Wesley, take my hand. You got my heart because that's my heart. Is that your heart? Do you believe that? Some of you do. Good. We're, we're making progress. Disunity in the church at large Listen, folks. It costs us our credibility. How can you all believe that 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 jesus is the only way and yet you're, you're 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 always arguing one of the worst things that has happened to Christians and churches is blogs and twitter feeds sometimes my i have I follow certain people on Twitter that are different anyway pastors and groups and theologians or whatever and and if you can afford a, a camera on your phone and, and get a YouTube video up, I am amazed at the time some of these people have to be arguing about some of the stupidest things. I don't want to even bore you, but they are just so... I mean, my brain wants to explode sometimes. And I'm thinking, what do you all do all day? Don't, when do you have time to shepherd your folks and pray and read when you're all, spending all these times arguing over... Just And the world sees that and says, yeah, I don't know. There seems to be more unity sometimes in the neighborhood bar. It costs our, our strength and our vitality. And I believe also it costs us the disunity of why we do not see genuine revival among God's people because we're too busy fighting each other and arguing of those things. Second request that, I, that Jesus makes is not in, in John 17, but it's in Luke 10, 2, and should be on the screen. His request for laborers in the harvest. Jesus prays for laborers in the harvest. Look at Luke 10, verse 2, and you can just watch it on the... You don't have to move from John 17. Uh, Luke 10, 2 is on the screen. The harvest... Now, harvest is a metaphor for what? The way Jesus used it. Is he talking about the un- the unbelievers, unsaved, all right? It's just like there's, a, there's planting seed and all those agricultural uh, metaphors are all through the Bible. It was a very agricultural system. You know, I'm talking about the sower sowing seed and some fell on hard soil and soft soil, you know, all that. So that's very much a part of uh, of uh, the metaphors that are used in Scripture. So when he's talking about the seed of the gospel that's taking good root and good soil, coming forth like a farmer that anticipates the harvest, he doesn't just say, wow, isn't that a beautiful harvest and sit there and watch it rot. No, it's, we've got we to gather it up. That's the fruit. That's the product of our of our labors, all right? So Jesus used that same imagery when he says the harvest... Now, Jesus is saying this back then. He said the harvest is truly is what? Great. Yesterday at the Mahaffees, the harvest of fallen trees was truly great. Right? And we had, what, about 11 laborers? Thank God for that, Right? He said, the harvest is truly, truly is great, but the laborers are few. Just throw our hands up, go home. No, what does he say? Pray to the Lord of the harvest. See, he, he, he controls these things. The Lord of the harvest to do what? That the Lord would send out laborers, and don't miss this, into whose harvest? It's his. Do you think he has a vested interest in the souls that he has chosen before all eternity, coming to faith in Christ. Do you think he has an interest in that? I think so. And so he prayed that he would send out laborers to harvest his crop. The workers of the harvest are few. Jesus came. He died, resurrected. And because he has secured the way to God, Romans 5, 8 says, but God commendeth his love, shows his love towards us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus has done and accomplished the work of making a way where there is no way. So his request for prayer is that we ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers because of just to harvest the work that he has already accomplished. That's what we need to pray for. That's what Jesus requested laborers that have a heart and a passion for what Jesus has a passion for. I'll be honest with you, I, I'm praying that next year there's two priorities, I believe, as a church that we must, we must, we must become passionate about, and that's sharing the gospel, evangelism, and prayer. If we're not doing that, we're failing at the core heart and mission of, of God. And it isn't just programs. Listen, I got boxes with notebooks that got more programs, you know, just bring out the you know, boxes, all right, three ring binders, copy the, you know, and get people busy. See, that's the delusion. We think as long as we're busy, and there is work. We've got to have a heart, but we've got to have a hand to actually be involved in the harvest. Was my heart 100% out in those trees yesterday? I will confess to you, my Carl. My heart wasn't always there, but my hands and body were. You know, when that alarm went off Saturday morning, Of all nights, I didn't have a great sleep that night, been kind of dealing with sickness. My heart was not excited. But you know what excited me? When I got there, I was around those guys, and we were doing something that blessed me. And then I looked at my watch, and I thought, wow, it's noon, it's time, it's already done. By the way, he has a lot more to do, so if you've messed out on that blessing... Don't feel guilty. You can redeem that. Just talk to Carl over there. Good to see you there, brother. Good to see you today. Third, second, or, uh, uh, third request is Jesus' request, John 14. So if you're in John 17, just hang a left and go to John 14. Request for Holy Spirit Power. John 14, look at this, it should be on the screen. Verse 16, Jesus says, And I will pray the Father to the Father, and he will give you another helper. Helper is one of the identities and names of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Greek word is paraclete, not parakeet, paraclete. The Holy Spirit is not a parakeet. Paraclete means in the Greek, one who comes alongside. Isn't that a wonderful picture? Jesus says, I'm not going to, in another place, he said, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send one. He, He said, it's better that I go because if I don't return, I can't, and so the Holy Spirit, see, when the disciples were with Jesus, they were only with Jesus as long as they were with Jesus. The Holy Spirit has been poured out, and we're with Jesus all the time. How? Because the Holy Spirit has a mission. He does not give it, he does not take attention to his own, but he draws attention to Jesus. So the Holy Spirit power is more of the presence of Jesus in my life. Do we need that? I do. Do we want that? That's the, that's where the jury's out sometimes. Do I really want it? I don't know. I don't want it if it's going to make me look like a crazy nut. I'm not asking you to look like a crazy nut. It's amazing when the Holy Spirit, I love something Jim Simbola. How many of you know Jim Cimbala, the Not know him, but know his name. Mike, you may know him. Pastors of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York, known for their wonderful music. And, of course, Jim Simbola is just such a humble, wonderful guy and he said uh, and i didn't write this down so give me a second to make sure i quote it correctly he said often what happens and i've quoted it before often what we have done in the church is we have focus in trying to get sin out of people instead of leading people out of sin do you see the difference where's our focus people or sin people or sin it's a big difference but I'm, I find that when the Holy Spirit and a person is moving in their passion and their heart in the presence of God, usually because they become more engaged in worship is a, one of the ways that this happens, is that those things that you might say, oh, they need to, legitimate, they need to do this or quit doing, you know, whatever. I found when the Holy Spirit motivates them and change is spirit wrought rather than handing you a little notebook when you join the church and say, here's the behavioral rules. And when the Holy Spirit says, you know, I just don't really have any desire to do that anymore. Why? I don't know. Just as I get closer to him, what is it? Turn your eyes up on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth and you can... Just in the light of his what? Glory and grace. So what's the benefit of getting more of the Holy Spirit? You get more of Jesus. You walk more like Jesus. You talk more like Jesus. You act more like Jesus. Do we need that? You bet. You bet. I grew up in a tradition and where sometimes the emphasis of Holy Spirit power was more external. And I'm not saying there's not When God gets a hold of your life, I mean, we can stand in a stadium and do the wave and paint our faces and do all sorts of crazy stuff for a bunch of overpaid athletes who don't even like you to begin with. Wouldn't give you the time of day, but yet we'll stand and scream and yell and be depressed for two days. Maybe that's because the Bears lost to the, the Bucks last week, but I won't go there. Do you hear what I'm saying? It isn't that we're joyless. We just choose what we're going to be joyful in. Grace Church needs now, tomorrow, more genuine, authentic, Holy Spirit power. Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 says, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Don't worry about Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power. But by my churches, we, we uh, pastors, we think we're really clever. We think if we can just design that perfect logo, the harvest is just going to come bussing in. We come up with that gimmick and that mission statement and that cute little phrase and, you know, and we, we organize ourselves and all that. Is there a place? Yeah, I don't have a problem. You know, we do that. We try to be good communicators and all that. That's not where the power is. Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers of the 19th century, maybe of all time, outside of Paul. Somebody was touring his church, the Metropolitan Tabernacle there in London. Preached to tens of thousands of people every week. In those days, in the, in the mid, probably more in the mid to late 1800s, his sermons were telegraphed across the ocean, or really around the world, and full texts of his transcribed sermons were published in hundreds of newspapers in the United States. I mean, he had a media global ministry before they ever, imagine that today. Imagine opening the Lakeland Ledger and just two whole pages of a sermon by John Piper or John MacArthur or Tim Campbell. Say, so I wonder how much that cost him. <laughs> but it's the power, not by might nor by power, in every class of this church, and everything that we do, the pantry, anything that we do, that we see more people hungering and thirsting after Christ. More people exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit with one another. More power. So Jesus prays for unity, labors, power of the Holy Spirit. And fourth and last is Jesus prays a prayer request for safety against the enemy. John 17, 15 Jesus said, I do not pray. Again, this is part of his, what oftentimes is called the high priestly prayer of Jesus. He, am I hearing voices? Or I love it when things go off and they hand it to, I'm, you know, it couldn't have happened to a better person. And I love how they immediately hand it off to somebody quickly to get it out of their hands like it's a hot potato. Has that ever happened to anybody? Yeah. Just not in church, Peggy, but anyway. (laughs) Oh, teasing. All right, let's, let's gather back. Come on. Is it okay to laugh in church? Enjoy ourselves? Amen? That's okay, right? John 17, 15, Jesus said in this high priestly prayer, when you read John 17, and I encourage you to look at it, read it, I do not pray, Jesus said, that you should take them, talking about these disciples, out of the world. But he's (laughs) praying that you would keep them from the evil one. Every time you and I are confronted with temptation and attacks of the enemy, the Bible identifies that enemy He's been a liar from the beginning. Uh, One translation says that when he lies, he speaks his own native language. Remember that Jesus is praying and interceding for you to keep you safe. We pray the the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's not that we're praying, God, don't don't set me up to do wrong. That's not what that means. Read James 1. God does not, can't be tempted with evil. He doesn't tempt anyone with evil, okay? James 1 helps us to get understand that. But recognizing, and we just began this series on Wednesday nights called The Invisible War. Some of you, do, I, some of you all of you need to be here if you physically can. This is going to be stuff you, we deal with on a day-in, day-out basis. It's not weird. It's not bizarre. Chip Ingram does a very biblical presentation and study, and we need to know these things. We need to, well, I know all about that. Good. Maybe you can teach us. But I suspect that it isn't just about knowing it. It's just we've got to have this reinforcement of truth constantly in our life. You say, well, it it conflicts when I eat dinner. Fast. Go buy checkers and get a 50-cent hamburger or whatever they do. On the way home, you'll live You'll live. Hunger for spiritual truth. The church sets a menu. We set a table wanting to equip you. Take advantage of it. Remember what, uh, if you have your Bibles uh, open... Look over to Luke 22. Well, you know what? Don't, don't, I can paraphrase it. It's very familiar. It's only two verses. Remember in Luke 22, you may, if you want to jot a note, in fact, it may be, I'm not sure if I have the scripture on the screen, Luke 22, Luke 22 32. Do I have that? Okay. That, but I wanted to read verse 31, but I'll paraphrase it. This, if you remember, this is right as Jesus was, the night that Jesus was betrayed and of his arrest, and before all that took place. Jesus looks at Peter and says this, and I'm going to paraphrase verse 31. Jesus says to Peter, imagine Jesus saying this to you. Jesus says to Peter, Peter, Satan has has requested to sift you like wheat. In other words, Peter. Satan he's coming after you big time by name. He is asked, because if you read Job, you understand a little of those things. We can't get into it now. But notice this is verse thirty two, is what Jesus said after the bad news. But I've prayed for you. It ain't gonna happen. That's a good prayer that I need in my life. Tim, Satan, he's tried to get a hook in you. He's tried to get a hook in you. But I've prayed for you, and I have all authority. Listen, one prayer, Jesus, is better than anything else you or anybody else can give you. Jesus says, Peter, I have prayed for you. What? That your." Faith should not fail. Do you need Jesus interceding that our faith would not fail? You bet. Jesus prays for safety against the enemy, and he's still praying for our protection. Even, you say, but yet uh, there's, there's times, and maybe this, man, I just I just blew it. I just failed. I, I let the enemy just trip me up. Does that mean I'm not a believer? Not necessarily. I believe that if it bothers you and it brings conviction, that's a sign that the Holy Spirit is in you and you are a believer. If you run His red lights of disobedience and it doesn't bother you, then that's time to maybe wonder there might be a problem. But notice what the Scripture says, that even when we've blown it, First John two 1 John 2.1, John the Apostle says, My little children, these things I write to you, what he wrote previous, why he's writing this 1 John letter, so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have a what? We have an advocate. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Now, don't get an idea that when we blow it, when we sin, that Jesus is up there trying to talk the Father and to say, yeah, you know, come on, he is a good guy. Really love him, really care about him. That's not what this means. It's not that he's in eternity constantly trying to talk God the Father into loving us and not just bringing down the hammer. That's not what this is. It's part of the whole intercessional ministry of our high priests. Read Hebrews and uh, theology. They call this the session of Christ meaning that Christ in his glorified kingly state is at the right hand of the father he's part of he's part of that kingly rule and his work and intercession for us didn't cease it's continuing even when we blow it Jesus is praying like he prayed for Peter that our faith would not fail i need those prayers hebrews 9:24 is part of this context of Jesus and his priestly role, now ascended to, the, to heaven, for Christ has not entered... Look at this. It's on the screen. Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands like the human priest did, which were merely copies of the reality, of the true, but Christ, as our high priest now, has entered into heaven itself to appear in the presence of God for Who? Does that move you? He's in the presence of God for me. I have an advocate. I have a I have one who is eternally for me on my side. And as eight Romans eight, Paul said, Who shall separate us from that love?